When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Democracy is at stake, and we have to have alliances of people that strongly disagree on everything but that fact. Inflation's not going to be a problem. Inflation will moderate. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. It would be insanity if the Democrats don't do something on Build Back Better. Pennsylvania, one of the closest states in the 2020 election, will be critical for deciding which party controls the Senate after 2022. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. A three-ring circus today in Washington. How much can we take, Captain? Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer is retiring. The Russia-Ukraine standoff is developing and all on a Fed day. Good thing we have the fastest hour in politics as we unpack all of these stories with some of the best minds in politics this hour, we'll speak with Greg Valier, Chief U.S. Policy Strategist at AGF Investments. Later, our conversation with Brett Bruin from the Global Situation Room, former Director of Global Engagement in the Obama White House. His view on these developments and the classic panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are all ahead. We start, though, with Bloomberg's White House reporter Josh Wingrove, who's had a rather busy day and busy week, of course, and was with the president yesterday when some of the news on sanctions was made. We want to start off, though, with the Federal Reserve, as you heard from Charlie Pellet, Fed Chair Jay Powell, said the central bank ready to raise interest rates in March and did not rule out, as I read on the terminal, moving at every meeting for the rest of this year. Here's Chair Powell earlier today. Inflation remains well above our longer run goal of 2%. Supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic and the reopening of the economy have continued to contribute to elevated levels of inflation. In particular, bottlenecks and supply constraints are limiting how quickly production can respond to higher demand in the near term. These problems have been larger and longer lasting than anticipated, exacerbated by waves of the virus. And by that he means not transitory. And this is where we begin with Josh Wingrove. We'll pick through each of these through the, the prism of the White House. Josh, it's great to have you. Is it clear now? Is it confirmed that the Fed had this wrong while the White House was deferring to Jay Powell on inflation? Well, I, I, I think that the White House is, will be happy when the Fed hits the gas a little bit to pull some heat off inflation. I know Joe Biden tends to risk getting himself in trouble the longer he talks. It feels like markets felt the same way about Jay Powell today. Yeah, <laughs> After a pretty up, uh, positive reaction turned uh, turned negative uh, as remarks went on. Look, Joe Biden has uh, has kind of walked up to the line 
uh, not crossed it, but walked up to it of, of weighing in on the Fed's uh, sort of now bats away questions about inflation by saying it's you know he, he believes in the Fed's ability to bring that down. That of course implicitly sig- signals that he wants them to you know get on with it. And so we'll see. And of course we're watching uh, the confirmations of, of his uh, nominations to the board. But inflation is one of, if not the biggest problem facing President Biden right now. And I'm sure he'll be delighted if those numbers come down. You know whether by the Fed or other measures. But it also kind of uh, confirms the fact, right, that that we have a problem here, um, and and the Fed will remind us apparently of that at every meeting for the rest of the year. Does this remain a campaign issue then through the 2022 midterms? Yeah, Republicans are seizing on this. You know, I'm not sure that it's the overall basket of, you know, inflation goods that, that yeah. are the problem so much as how people feel it, right? Price of the pump is probably the biggest one. And, you know, Biden needs to look like he's doing something on that. They're pushing the Build Back Better Act, which, of course, was sort of left for dead in December when Joe Manchin, uh, you know, uh, pulled pulled the plug. And now they're trying to revive something. Chunks, Biden has said, to pass mm-hmm. something. They hope that'll make sort of a longer-term difference. But in the short term, I mean, fundamentally, inflation is going up because— you know, there are structural issues on supply chains. They're trying to do something about that. And people have money to spend, and there's not enough goods for them to spend it on. So the yeah. stuff's, going, stuff's going up. Well, you know, there as we as we said earlier today on Bloomberg Radio and TV, Josh, this was a president that's doing more than walking and chewing gum. Uh, I think you had him doing something else at the same time. Because we've got three to deal with here. Uh, this surprise announcement from Stephen Breyer, maybe not so yep. surprising for some. White House is speaking still in hypotheticals? They are, yeah, but you know they did uh, plant a flag again in previous statements from the president that he intends to appoint a black woman mm-hmm. to the first uh, opening that comes up on the court. This, of course, would be that chance, and I think you know pretty widespread. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say jubilation, but Democrats don't seem heartbroken the, of this of this impending retirement. Now the timeline is the question. He has said he's going to serve to the end of his term. That kind of pushes it into the summertime. There's good news and bad news in that. The good news is that it buys them time to do other stuff. In the meantime, uh, the bad news is, of course, every you know moment uh, that that they don't move on a pick, they risk losing uh, slim majorities. I mean, this is sort of something that gets whispered about, but you know, you never know. Uh, with uh, some senators in particular, are, are are you know not not as young as they used to be. Yeah, and so it, you know, it's a, the thing when you have fifty fifty senators, you never know when uh, an illness or, or, God forbid, worse, could could change the voting numbers. So uh, right now, I think Democrats are certainly praising the, the legacy of Justice Breyer, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, turning pretty quickly to the push to, to put someone else new in place. And, of course, there's a couple of names that are already being floated as frontrunners. We only have uh, a couple of minutes here, Josh. Uh, pretty big news, though. Russia, Ukraine agreeing to more talks in two weeks. Does that take some of the heat off the president for now? Yeah, I think uh, they they want to be you know any, anything that is not an invasion takes the heat off the president. We we had news today that the written response to Russia uh, has been delivered by the U.S. The, they haven't said what that is. They've sort of signaled a little mirror what they said publicly. I expect Republicans to hit them on that. Uh, you know, look for Biden to start rotating or or, or come closer to make a decision on those eighty five hundred troops that they plan on rotating through NATO eastern flank countries. And remember, of course, he's ruled out sending troops to Ukraine itself. So we'll see. Remember, NATO countries, in particular EU countries, Germany, France, and the U.S. are really not all on the same page about how far they want to go on sanctions and which sectors to sanction. Thanks for the time today, Josh Wingrove, White House reporter for Bloomberg, who helps us set the table for our conversation with Greg Valliere, AGF Investments Chief U.S. Policy Strategist, 
Greg, we couldn't have picked a busier day, I think, to get together here. And I'd love to, I hope I have time to pick through uh, each of these with you. But I'd like to, to, to turn to the situation a little bit more in depth uh, with Russia, Ukraine. Uh, you have a specialty in this field and you know where the White House stands on this. A little breathing room for two weeks, I suspect, could go a long way. But what's your concern right now as the White House tries to get on the same page as European allies with sanctions? I guess, and great to be with you, I guess my biggest concern is Germany, which hasn't been uh, going along with the rest of uh, the NATO allies. But I've got to think we now have a little uh, gap here. Uh, I don't think that Vladimir Putin wants to upstage China's uh, leader, Xi, with the Olympics coming up outside of Beijing. Mm -hmm. The Olympics are from the 4th of February till the 20th of February. I just don't think that uh, Xi would be happy to have world headlines focus on an invasion of Ukraine. So I think we got a gap. I think we got a little bit of breathing room until the end of February. The the news today... uh Unexpected, I suppose, but they did deliver the letter, the response that uh, we had heard about, a written response to Russia on its demands. The Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, said it sets out a serious diplomatic path forward. So you could view this as progress, Greg Valliere? Some, yes. I think there's probably carrots and sticks in this. Uh, The carrots being uh, perhaps a, a reduction of arms from uh, the U.S. and that part of the world, the re- a reduction of military exercises. Mm-hmm. There's some things we can offer that, that might sweeten uh, the deal. I think the sticks are pretty clear. I think that the uh, sanctions against Russia, their banking industry, uh, sanctions on technology transfers are, are not trivial. I think these are serious sanctions. So yeah. I, I'm in a minority, I guess. I'm not convinced there will be an all-out invasion. I do think Russia will have cyber warfare, maybe there'll be skirmishes at the border. But the bottom line is, does Vladimir Putin really, does he really want to see thousands of casualties of Russian troops? I think if they go in, Mm -hmm. the Ukrainian people will resist very aggressively. Uh, Speaking of sticks, Jay Powell's got a couple of them uh, with what looks like a series of interest rate hikes for the rest of the year. How did he do today? Did he take any heat off the White House when it comes to inflation? Not really. Uh, The markets weren't pleased because he left so many options open. Mm. Uh, A lot of people felt he didn't uh, offer the clarity that everyone was hoping for today. I mean, we all know we're going to get a rate hike in March, probably a couple more. But there's all sorts of other issues, like the balance sheet, uh, which uh, Powell did not discuss. So I think for investors who are looking for clear signals, there's some frustration. Where's your money on March, 25 or 50 basis points? I think it's 25. I think they yeah. can't do 50 right away. You know, there are some signs that there, the economy is not super robust. As you mentioned in the earlier uh, interview, I mean, there's still big issues with supply chains and mm-hmm. you know, the port of Los Angeles. There's big, big issues with uh, semiconductor chips that are is scarce, and that's hurting the auto industry. It's going to be the so story for like the rest of the year. it's not like the U.S. economy is red hot right now. Yeah, and it's not like 1% on a Fed funds rate is all that high either, which is what we're talking about. Greg Valliere, it's great to have you back with us on Bloomberg Sound On from AGF Investments. We assemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie with us today. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. 
Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So did the White House get a heads up? And how is this not official yet? As we turn to the retirement here of Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, this news landed in our laps right at noontime. I'll never forget that moment. As we were just opening balance of power, the headline hits. Look at this. Well, it seemed like the White House didn't expect that to come out today. As we assemble the panel, I want you to listen to Jen Psaki, White House Press Secretary, about whether she was asked a number of things about this. In this particular case, asked if President Biden will keep his pledge to appoint a black female justice. Listen to the way she words the answer. So let's say hypothetically, <laughs> a Supreme Court justice was to retire and announce it on his or her own terms. Does President Biden plan to honor his pledge to nominate a black woman to the court? Well, I've commented on this previously. The president has uh, stated and reiterated his commitment to nominating a black woman to the Supreme Court and certainly uh, stands by that. Um, for today, again, uh, I'm just not going to uh, be able to say anything about uh, any specifics until, of course, uh, Justice Bi Breyer makes any uh, announcement should he decide to uh, make an announcement. But they had to get a heads up on this, right? Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. You think the president spoke with Justice Breyer last weekend? Jeannie, how come this didn't come together differently? You know, it, we don't know if he spoke to him. It, maybe we will know at some point. But what we do know is that Justice Breyer has shown what a, a, a smart politician he is in addition to being a smart justice because he has put Biden and the Democrats in the best position they can be at with this timing of this announcement, should it come. We don't know yet. And also because we believe he may say he will stay until after the nominee is confirmed. Those two things give the Biden administration Administration in a difficult time, the best position they can to fill this, you know, his seat, should it become available, which we may know more tomorrow. Yeah. What do you think about the way this came together, Rick, to hear the press secretary talking about this hypothetical situation in which Justice Breyer or, gosh, anyone might want to retire this year? Of course, they had to know this was coming, right? 
You know, I don't know. <clears throat> it's either they knew it and it was the most botched up announcement you've ever seen in Washington. Wow. Or they didn't know it and it was a botched up announcement coming out of Washington. I mean, uh, this is a big deal. Uh, opening up a uh, potential Supreme Court debate in the Senate uh, in an election year. I mean, that's like that's like dropping a nuclear bomb on the Capitol and like not knowing who it came from. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm stunned that the White House basically played dumb on this yeah. all day. Uh, this, as Jeannie said, is huge news for them. But they got a gift, I mean, right? Otherwise, the story was all inflation, which right. is really bad news for them. So uh, I got to tell you, I mean, maybe they're creating a lane for Breyer to do a victory lap or something. But yeah. honestly, there could have been a hundred ways to do this that would have been much more uh, impactful than sort of this leaking out at the noon hour right before the Fed meeting and <laughs> and without the White House being able to lean in on it. Yeah, really something else. Uh, statement from Joe Manchin uh, on the Breyer retirement. I'll pull it up for you in just a moment uh, as I just turn to Twitter here. Um, interesting, Jack Fitzpatrick from Bloomberg Government has been kicking these out. Here's the statement. Justice Breyer has dedicated much of his life to upholding the rule of law, and we are grateful for his service. I wish him a happy and fulfilling retirement. The senator from West Virginia says, I take my constitutional responsibility to advise and consent on a nominee to the Supreme Court very seriously. I look forward to meeting with and evaluating the qualifications of President Biden's nominee. That's the statement from Joe Manchin. Should we assume Democrats will all be on board here, Jeannie? We'll need everyone, right? They will need everyone. And, you know, Josh really put the fear in them when you during your conversation because he's absolutely <laughs> right. Should somebody, God forbid, get ill or something. You have no room. You have error. no room for error. And, gosh, you've got to be imagining that the Republicans right now are saying we wish we had a filibuster for these nominees. We don't. And so Democrats, if they all stay together, can do this. And that puts a lot of pressure on the White House mm -hmm. as they consider who they're going to put forward because the president as you as as you talked about has already suggested he wants a woman of color yeah. he's also talked about wanting somebody who has a background in criminal justice reform areas i don't know how far he'll get on that he's got a lot of great women of color to choose from but it's got to be somebody you can get through a lot of talk about jackson but i think we should also think about childs because james clyburn has been pushing her so there are some great nominees out there but they have no room for error on this pick what do you make of the confirmation process here, Rick, agreeing with Jeannie, or, or could the president run into some issues getting the numbers he needs? We saw a couple, actually three Republicans, including Lindsey Graham, uh, vote for Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson in, in uh, her confirmation last June to the federal appeals court. Does that happen all over again? Yeah, I, I, I imagine there are a lot of voices around the White House uh, conference table today, and I'm sure the political ones are saying, look, take Take Brown Jackson. She just got confirmed. She got 53 votes. She got three Republicans. You know, let's get this done as quick as we can, because every day that goes by that this is not a confirmation that has happened and he signed it yep. uh, is a day that could get upset by the politics of the day. And there's so many things that can disrupt this nomination. Um, I, I would remind everybody that House members don't get to vote on a, uh, uh, a nomination for the uh, uh, Supreme Court. So I think this is going to be all about the Democrats in the Senate. A lot more from the panel. Jeannie and Rick are with us for the hour. We'll get their take on the Fed pick or the Fed meeting, I should say, later and talk about those three Fed picks because we've got a whole bunch of confirmation hearings coming up. Market news on the way. We'll talk to Brett Bruin on the other side. This is Bloomberg.
So we got back to the Russians, as promised. The written response on the crisis in Ukraine, not a love letter. It was announced today by Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Here he is. Putting things in writing is also a good way, as we do all the time uh, across the board, um, is a good way to make sure we're as precise as possible. And uh, the Russians understand our positions, our ideas, as clearly as possible. Right now, the uh, document is with them, and the ball is in their court. Ball's in their court as we now wait a couple of weeks for talks. Uh, the NATO military alliance, as I read on the terminal, confirmed soon after it provided its own document. And they are in sync on this. Didn't take everything, obviously, as we expected, rejecting some of the Kremlin's key demands. And then eight hours of talks between Russia and Ukraine, along with France and Germany, producing an agreement to meet again in two weeks on the continuing tensions in the Donbass region. We're joined by Brett Bruin, Global Situation Room President, former Director of Global Engagement at the White House. Brett, do you see this as progress? It felt like we were moving on a daily basis closer to a possible military conflict. This feels like it's got a bit of a cooling effect. It is a cooling effect, and yet we have to also treat it with a bit of caution because, unfortunately, with Russia, you can have ebbs and flows, and often those ebbs are quite strategic. I think what Putin is doing at the moment is a strategic move to show that he is engaged in diplomacy. And uh, we had heard earlier from Prime Minister, or rather Foreign Minister uh, Lavrov, that the Russians would exhaust diplomacy and then they would take matters into their own hands. So we still have to be cautious. Continuing to deny, though, that they ever had an intention to invade Ukraine. They say we're the ones coming up with these crazy ideas. But one of the ideas floated this week, Brett, and you got my attention uh, on Twitter shortly after it happened, was this uh, idea of personal sanctions. President Biden says uh, that he's certainly open to this. Uh, answering a reporter yesterday, said, yeah, we could see this happen. And we've got a story on this now. The president says Putin at risk of personal sanctions over Ukraine. Is this just a threat? And is this unprecedented? It is a big step. Very rarely does the United States personally sanction a foreign head of state. And I remember these discussions. In fact, I remember my frustration in the Situation Room after Russia invaded Crimea and other uh, parts of eastern Ukraine in 2014. And I was told we don't, as a general rule, sanction foreign leaders. We ran into this with uh, Mohammed bin Salman when they did not ultimately place blame and responsibility at his doorstep. And yet, President Biden this week opened the door at least. And I think that was a shot across the bow at Putin because we know where his billions of dollars are stashed. We do know, because I keep hearing, boy, you know, go ahead and sanction the man directly, but good luck finding all of his money. Well, we are in the U.S. government, as listeners to Bloomberg will know, uh, quite uh, adept at following the trail of money. Yeah. And Putin has a, a group of folks that he uh, essentially hands out his money to hold on to. Right. So it's not in the account under Vladimir Putin. So we but, go after them. We, we will seize um, and freeze that money, and I think it's uh, a real threat to Putin and his plans. Take me inside the Situation Room, as you refer. What's happening inside this White House right now? We're, we're hearing about meetings 
with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the Secretary of Defense. They're not on the president's public schedule. What's happening in the West Wing? There are a series of round-the-clock meetings, and they're being held at all levels. And one interesting feature of the national security process for the U.S. government is you will have meetings that start at a lower level, and they quickly get escalated, and decisions then get pushed back down for implementation plans and for further consideration. So this is an iterative process, but you have generals, you have ambassadors, you have intelligence officials and senior other government officials coming in and out of the West Wing throughout the day and the evening. Are we prepared? I'm sure they gave several uh, different military responses. Are we prepared uh, to handle whatever Russia throws at Ukraine if it decides to cross the border and how many different scenarios would that be what are they looking at is there a cyber scenario for instance is there one where tanks roll in how many different options does the president have in the buffet here well the problem that uh, Putin poses is that he is really good at asymmetric warfare so we don't know whether it will be a full-on military assault or it will be more of a hybrid situation. And my money at this point is on less of a direct full-scale military assault and more of small incursions accompanied by other disruptive activities. That being said, and I think it's important what we've witnessed over the last few days, the U.S. has stepped up its game. We're still not where we need to be, but you have seen the effect. And I think even today's announcement of further diplomacy has given the Kremlin pause to at least adjusted strategy. So the idea of having some sort of uh, uh, staged incursion, remember we were talking about this uh, with the White House just a couple of days or a week or so ago. Uh, Do you expect any of that type of of operation to take place? Russia has a long history of doing this, some sabotage, something to make it look like they were provoked. Well, and I've studied Vladimir Putin a long time. And one of the things that's important to know about him is he prefers to engage in the shadows. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is what we are most likely to see. He will be loath to put all of his cards, all of his forces on the table. Great insights from Brett Bruin, Global Situation Room President, spent time in the Obama White House as Director of Global Engagement and appreciate the insights, Brett. We reassemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie with us on Bloomberg Sound On. We'll check markets and traffic, too. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry 
and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We circle two weeks on the calendar and reassemble the panel. I need to hear from Rick and Jeannie on this and the Fed for that matter. Well, we're splitting the screen three ways today. The Justice Breyer announcement, the Federal Reserve meeting, and of course, Russia-Ukraine developing today with a two-week reprieve following eight hours of talks. Imagine the mood in that room between Russia and Ukraine. The Kremlin envoy Dmitry Kozak telling reporters in Paris a new round will take place in two weeks in Berlin. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. Are you trusting any of this, Rick? No. Uh, why do we think it's a reprieve for two weeks? It's I two chose weeks that word. That, yeah, it's two weeks that Vladimir Putin can you know, expand his program of propaganda, disinformation, cyber attacks, and espionage on the Ukraine. Continue to further, you know, divide the uh, NATO allies. Yeah. And, and, and we have to fill that two weeks with our own counterattack on, on what he's trying to accomplish. Otherwise, we're ceding the ground to him. Uh, I, I, I'm encouraged by some of the, the very forceful things that the U.S. and the Brits have been able to say and do about exposing you know, uh, these tactics by the Ukraine, but we have to turn that up if we want to avoid a conflict. What do you make of that, Jeannie? Does it not buy time uh, for this White House or, or time as corrosive as Rick is suggesting? I think it's unclear. I think there is a, a way in which people are reading into this. We even heard the Deputy Secretary of State echo what some people have been talking about, about perhaps the Olympics uh, timing on this yeah, right. would suggest that Putin wouldn't wouldn't move in. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can be so sure about that, nor can we be so sure that they would wait two weeks until there's talks in Berlin. I think in terms of timing, it's also important to underscore that Vladimir Putin has not spoken out about any of this in one month. We have not had one statement from Vladimir Putin on this topic in one month. So there's a lot of, you know, open questions here. And the United States has to work very, very hard to make sure that the allies are together and Germany certainly is not and that they are prepared for a response. Because as I think, you know, Brett just alluded to, Putin is likely to engage in what he called the shadows, cyber attacks, other forms of attacks. It may not be an all out, you know, in, in incursion with troops, yeah. but it may be something else. And the U.S. and the allies have got to respond because, again, this is a sovereign nation and it is Putin's effort to try to rearrange security arrangements in Europe that have been there since World War II. So how do we fill the space to your point then, uh, Rick? What should the president be doing? Is it more meetings uh, in, in public view with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs? Is it more talking tough with our allies? Or is the ball really in Vladimir Putin's court the way the secretary of state said? Yeah, I don't think you want to give the ball to Vladimir Putin. Um, you know, not many people have been paying attention to it, but, um, you know, this weekend, the, the UK intelligence um, uh, agency put out the fact that there was already a cache of former um, officials from Ukraine who were being put up by uh, Russian intelligence to, to go in and take over the country, you know, create a coup in essence. Uh, you know that they're either trying to buy off or scare uh, most of the senior military uh, within the Ukraine to open up the gates 
you know, uh, and let uh, let the Russian tanks in. But I think everyone's focused on, you know, tanks going across the border when yeah. the real damage could potentially be done internally. This is the kind of thing, as uh, Brett Bruin had talked about, uh, uh, Putin loves, right? This is espionage. This is his ability to, without any fingerprints on it, look like that there's like a popular revolt against the current elected government, uh, a, de- a, a, a democracy uh, that um, that Putin will try to undermine. So I think we have to be out there every minute trying to back up Zelensky and his government, make sure that our allies are standing shoulder to shoulder. Um, we're already sanctioning some of these uh, Ukrainians that the Russians have put up yeah. to do this because we know they're working with the Russian intelligence. So I think continuing to report on that, I think will be key to keeping Putin's feet to the fire. Is more travel smart, a big congressional Codell, some big name senators maybe, uh, touchdown in Ukraine in this two-week span, Jeannie? Uh, I, I think it, can, it can't hurt. It can't hurt to keep the, the presence there. But I want to add to over the weekend, you know, a lot of talk in, in press outside of the United States and the West about a new world order, safe for autocrats. That's what they're talking about in parts of China and parts of Russia. And I think we can't lose sight of the fact that we have China looking at this and seeing what it can do and what it is able to do in Taiwan. And that is a big concern. So yeah. we have to be careful how we respond to Putin because there are other autocrats and very powerful autocrats who are taking lessons from this. We'll talk about the document. We're not going to see it, apparently, Rick, uh, as, as some expected, they're not going to make it public. Uh, but we did reply to Russia, our written response. It rejects Russia's demand. We understand that NATO closed its door to eventual Ukraine membership in the alliance. Wasn't that the most important thing here to Vladimir Putin? Uh, well, it's certainly in a basket of tricks that uh, I, he knew when he put these things together, you know, weeks ago that we were going to say no to them. But um, this was all part of a gambit to try and create a process that he could keep us occupied while he tries to perform his dirty tricks. And so I'm, I'm glad the response went. I, I, I would have preferred uh, Secretary Blinken actually publicly going through what's in the letter, you know, and exposing the fact that Putin's losing out in this round. Otherwise, it leaves an opportunity for Putin to make people believe that he's actually getting something out of this negotiation, you know, which will embolden other autocrats to think, oh, if I just, you know, cause enough trouble, I can get some uh, some bennies from the United States and our eastern allies. Uh, I, I would say what does make me confident that that this administration is on it is um, CIA Director Bill Burns was in Europe this week, and uh, many people don't remember, but he was actually an ambassador uh, for the U.S. to uh, Russia and knows Vladimir Putin extraordinarily well. And having him on point to help uh, organize some of the work that's being done with our allies, I think, is really uh, a valuable asset to have right now in this government. Want to just touch on the Fed one more time while I have you both here. Rick and Jeannie are with us on Sound On. After the meeting today, we're going to start talking a lot more about the three openings, uh, the nominees that came from President Biden. We're going to be looking at more confirmation hearings. Jeannie, did today's meeting uh, do anything, you think, to change the conversation for lawmakers, namely Republicans, who are most concerned about inflation? 
Um, you know, I, I think that <laughs> I thought Josh's point was very well taken that, you know, I think last week, Biden and this week today, Powell, they've got to take a lesson from FDR. Be sincere, be brief and be seated. The longer they talk, the worse it seemed to get. Um, it didn't get terribly bad, but it was about as clear as mud. And I don't think that works to the Democrats or the Biden administration's advantage. So I think we have to take a wait and see attitude. It's going to all depend on does inflation you know, does are they able to impact inflation sure. in a positive direction? We don't know that yet. And I do think we are seeing signs from Pat Toomey and others that some of these Fed nominees, in particular Bloom Raskin, are in trouble. Look, these may not be fun hearings for the nominees, Rick, but if we're actually in the midst of a tightening regime, if we know rate hikes are coming or we've already begun them, does it change the dynamic? Uh, I don't think it'll change the dynamic too much. I mean, I think the Fed uh, and their policy will operate uh, regardless of uh, what's happening on Capitol Hill with these nominations. And I think the nominations will get their day in the limelight and, and Republicans like Pat Toomey and others will make a, a, a big stink about a few of these things. But ultimately, the, the votes are there to, nom to, to, to get confirmed, these, these individuals, and they'll, they'll, they'll go to work. Uh, I, I agree with what Jeannie was saying, though. I mean, like... I, I, I was really surprised that uh, the the chairman wasn't didn't have a tighter message today. Yeah. Um, he, he left a lot of doors wide open and 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 left the market to kind of figure out for themselves um, really what the guidance was. And uh, I think at a time when you have this really pronounced uh, uh, series of events like the supply chain problems mm -hmm. and the shortages, uh, a flagging economy, and yet a need to be able to tighten. Uh, it, he, he could have done a little bit more specificity around what that plan's going to look like. Well, does it suggest that they don't know, actually, where we're going to be in the second half of the year? Well, I don't think anybody knows where they're going to be in the second half of the year, but you, you want to be totally clear about what the first half of the year is going to look like sure. from Fed policy. That's the point. Sure. You want to you, you, you make that the, the clear part so that people can actually you know, bank on it. Only a couple of months ago, though, we were talking transitory. The, the sort of the message from the administration was, Jeannie, that we'd see inflation come down in the second half. Uh, now that we are clearly moving beyond that thought, they may not know where to land here. Well, that's exactly what the message seemed to be, is that they can't predict what's going to happen. They don't know. And so they are, you know, leaving it open. And so the message came out as, you know, an inability to give anybody who needed it some clear signals as to what they're going to do. And that's both a problem for the markets and politically, it's a problem for the Biden administration. So, you know, this is where we've, you know, today seemed to be a lot of big news, but not much yeah. clarity in whether you look at, you know, a potential uh, nomination for a briar seat and How also true. what's going to happen at the Fed. How true. Three ways of uncertainty. And we've talked through it with our panel, Rick and Jeannie. Thank you, as always, with Josh Wingrove, Brett Bruin and Greg Valliere. I told you we'd bring in some of the smartest minds in politics and it does underscore the level of uncertainty we are facing. So you know what? We'll meet you back here again tomorrow. On Sound On, this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy.
Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.